Hey, it's John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and it's The Entrepreneurial You, the show for dedicated and passionate Caribbean entrepreneurs seeking daily inspiration, brought to you by author, speaker, and award-winning entrepreneur, Henneka Wakis-Porter. You must be prepared to ignite. It is time for another episode of The Entrepreneurial You podcast, and I am your host, Henneka Wakis-Porter. And of course, also the creator of this podcast. Now, welcome back to my regular listeners and a very special welcome to you if you are tuning in for the very first time. Now, last week, I got all excited speaking with Kevin Frith, who is leading the Suncoast Beach Club development. Now, this week, I'm talking with another successful young entrepreneur who has been creating waves lately. But before I bring him on, let me thank those who make the mayor go. And they continue to support the entrepreneurial you. HennekaWatkinsPorter.com, of course. The National People's Cooperative Bank of Jamaica Limited, committed to the growth and development of their members. Profit Jumpstarter. And the Jamaica Stock Exchange, whose podcast, the Jamaica Stock Exchange and you, is hosted and produced by me. Do give it a listen when you get a chance. Now, here is a word from the JSE. After that, I will be introducing my guests and getting the conversation going. We needed to raise capital, but our experience with local financial institutions was that they were cautious and slow to act, and interest rates were far too high. We had real concerns about financing our business through outside equity investors and the possibility of interference. Could we get a fair valuation for our business? We had our own ideas about the business and its value. Should I go the traditional route of bank financing or should I try the Jamaica Stock Exchange? So we made a call and experienced transformation of our business through conversations. I'm John Mafood, CEO of Jamaican Teas, and we're listed on the Jamaica Stock Exchange. Give us a call today at 876-967-3271 to begin your transformation through conversation. We want to see your company listed on the Jamaica Stock Exchange. Welcome back, and let's get right into the opening business tip, courtesy of the National PC Bank of Jamaica. Research your competition. It's important for one to do analysis of their competition. You can't be afraid to study and learn from your competitors. So do your research. You may find that there may be products and services you can offer your clients or customers that your competitors do not do currently. So do research your competition. Now, it is episode 279 of the Entrepreneurial You podcast. And my guest on this episode is Ricardo Allen. Ricardo is the founder and CEO of One-on-One -on -one Educational Services Limited, the Caribbean's most prominent online ed tech company. Its award-winning learning management system continues to allow regional institutions, companies, and governments to deliver personalized online on-demand leading-edge learning solutions. Welcome, welcome, Ricardo. Thank you very much for having me, Henika. Very happy to be here. How are you doing? I'm a good man, and it's a pleasure to have you. It's, it's a long time coming, and you are here, so we are going to make the most of it, but 
before we get into all the stuff that I want to talk with, talk to you about, let me find out from you. What do you love most about being Jamaican? You know, honestly, uh, the mountains, if I were to be very honest, I have two beautiful daughters, one, four, one, eight. And, you know, I spend a lot of time, Henneke, when it gets very heavy and, um, you know, when, when it gets too much or too complicated on the flat, just driving up and to the mountains and just, you know, getting back to where it all started. So that, that's what I would say, the serenity of nature mm -hmm. and just the ability to, to lay your, your, your foot down sometime and just enjoy it, you know? Yeah. So you seem like you're a man after my own heart because I love, love, love nature. Absolutely you love know? nature. Yeah, man. I'm in love to go um the beaches, go hiking in the woods, um, do trails, just love it. Like I just feel at peace. And especially, you know, when it gets a little hectic, like you said. And I know um perhaps after all the success that you've been having with the one-on-one -on -one IPO, I, I I suspect that you're gonna need to take a little trip to the mountains, eh? <laughs> Abs absolutely that's that's where my heart is obviously obviously driving growth um in the company for our new shareholders mm -hmm. but certainly uh my my I, I do that best when my mind is at peace and my mind is at peace in the mountains awesome sauce all right so a lot of my listeners would perhaps know you know what they're seeing now, the excitement of one-on-one, -on -one, you know, about to be listed and, you know, the success of the, the oversubscription of the IP and all of that. So many of us are seeing that without knowing the journey, without knowing the man behind the mission, right? right. And so today it is my objective to kind of peel the layers back and get to know you, Ricardo. Um, I've been listening on different platforms, hearing tidbits of your story, which is super inspiring. But I want us to go back um, on this podcast to where it all began. Let's paint a picture of, let's say, five-year-old Ricardo. <laughs> you know, that, that's a very interesting one. Five-year-old Ricardo is in Rio Bueno, Trelawney. Um, if you would have traveled the North Coast Highway, you may have passed the little fishing village where I grew up. Mm -hmm. um, between Braco and I would say Porto Seco Beach. And, you know, we grew up on a fish, fishing village. First of all, Enika, I can't swim. Um, you and me I both. tell people <laughs> that story, <coughs> you know, it's it's crazy because, you know, I grew up in on the beach, on the water. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we grew up in a little vision, village there. I spent some of my time between there and, you know, Jacksonville and Trelawney. Um, you know, I, I never forget, you know, we used to on Sunday night group up or the, you know the village would kind of come together and we would go over to the neighbor's house to watch Royal Palm Estate. Oh my gosh, Royal Palm yeah, Estate. Man. That's just yeah, I I, I remember Royal Palm and I never had TV either. So we used to watch it on the neighbor's yard. Exactly, yes? exactly. <laughs> and then you know what what used to happen is that we didn't have light. Mm -hmm. So we used to just find the, the neighbor who had light and we watched it there. So you know, five-year-old Ricardo living, you know, in Rio, you know, spending a lot of my time with my great-grandmother in Jacksonville. By the way, the by bushes. the way, who, who was your favorite character on Royal Palm Estates? You know, String Bean is my guy, you know, I love my string. <laughs> <laughs> Tiny string whiny. Bean. Yeah. <laughs> For me. So, 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 so him, you know, him always, just his cheerful countenance, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. He's, he's okay. an interesting fellow. And, uh, 
Yeah, yeah it was our favorite card. Of course, you're five, you're seven, you don't understand it much, but it's what everybody watching. And so we, yes. didn't, we didn't have the luxury at that time, Henneka, to choose what we watch when we're. You only had two channels and most times one not working and one working. I have to right. box the TV sometime. And so, so, you know, <laughs> five-year-old Ricardo was like that. Um, you know, so we started out in, in there. I live with my mother and my father at the time. You know, we grew up very, very humble. I would say that um, during my time in Rearbone at Trelawney, I would have attended the all-age school there. Mm-hmm. Where my teachers, they were very fond of me. They felt that I was advanced for my age um, in my mathematical abilities and my ability to just um, problem solve, you know. And I actually ended up skipping a grade, Enika, mm-hmm. in Rio Buena Trelawney. In fact, there was one day that I walked to school barefooted um, because I lost my shoes and my father... Would, would have a fit if he found out that I had lost my shoes. So I had to go to school a few days barefooted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I did it because it was more interesting and important for me to get an education. Nonetheless, you know, left from Trelawney one evening, I had family who came down to Trelawney to look for my mother. My mother would have been pregnant with my sister at the time over wood fire. I wanted to paint the picture. It was a Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. And she was cooking and fanning, and you know, you had to fan the wood fire to make it right catch. and it blow it sometime. Yeah, man, blow it at you. So she was pregnant <laughs> over this fire. And I had an aunt, Auntie Sandra, who came and she saw that and she started crying. At the time, I was right beside the house having my Sunday dinner and the guinea tree. Of course, it wasn't Sunday dinner, rice and peas and chicken, it was the guineps that I were eating mm. at the time. I was eating guineps for dinner and she saw mm-hmm. me and she took me out of the tree. Of course, she would have gotten reports from the schools that I was doing exceptionally well. And she took me out of the tree, put me in the car. My father was playing cricket up in the, we call it, art field. And, mm-hmm. you know, she took me to Kingston, went to Georgia, Le Pass for um, Jamaica College and you know, went to university on three scholarships, studied actuarial sciences, left um, as a scholar. You know, I was a road scholarship finalist in 2010 mm-hmm. and a Fulbright scholar in 2013 when I had the idea of growing the online learning business and training by start creating videos for people. Quit my job, Enica, gave up the scholarship, and I took a deep dive into business, right? I, I was now, I would say, an entrepreneur. So in um, what year was that? What year that, that you... Was 20... 14. I got the Fulbright in 2013. In 2013, right. I was to leave the country in 2014. However, two weeks before leaving the country, I had to write one of the most painful letters certainly I've ever written, asking for them to pretty much extend the scholarship. They said no, and I had to give it up. And I had to write pretty much giving up that scholarship. And mm-hmm. it was painful, but jumped into business. And grew the business from, you know, 12 students now to over 250,000 students across the Caribbean. It's amazing. All right. So stick up in because, you know, the way you tell the story and because hindsight is always 2020 and you can always connect the dots looking back. But when you're in that situation, you know, and you're moving forward, I would like to know your thought process, you know, moving from um, this is a boy, country boy, real Bruno Trelawney 
um, eating gnips in the tree for Sunday dinner. Um, Bops, you know, see, you, you want to do actuarial science and you're doing all of these things and it looks so smooth, like it's a smooth path. But what was it, um, you know, what was that process like? Was it as easy as you make it, you know, seem right now? Absolutely not. Absolutely not, Enika. I'll tell you something, right? Um, you know, the, the point is when you're in it sometime, when you're in battle, right? Mm -hmm. You're not thinking so much about 10 years, 20 years down the line, Enika. You're trying to survive. Absolutely. And so most of my decisions that I've made in life, at the point, it was survival. It was trying to survive in that moment and, and to pretty much, you know, live to fight another day. So when mm -hmm. we where we lived, you know, we wouldn't be able to pack the food, the, the the fridge with groceries for the month, and you live day by day. Where you buy your quarter bread, you buy a stick of butter. Big Jilla Isle, you know, Big Jill small ah. one bag of Isle. One, you buy a bag of Isle, five dollars, right? Big what? Yeah, by the way, I remember when a bread cost three dollars forty. I kid you not. I keep like really? I used to write the grocery list every weekend for my grandmother. Yes, man. I would oh, buy a bread and she go, Yes, man, three dollars forty cents. I remember. We used to we used to buy <laughs> half a bread, quarter a bread, one loaf Mighty of bread. God. And we used to buy ice. And when yes. I say I buy ice, I'm not talking the bag of ice, and I meaning you have boo boo while live up a top field. We're free some ice, freeze and, the ice the, yes, and you sell yes. the thing. And two right? pound so, bag of rice, um, ice, not true. Absolutely. So when you're in that moment, Henika, you, you're thinking about uh, survival, mm -hmm. you're thinking about the next meal, and you're thinking about the next thing that will happen. I mean, is the light going to stay on or off, etc., etc., etc. And so when you're in that moment, you do things that ensures that you survive in that moment. Now, as I grew older, I can tell you with more information, it kind of shaped my long-term view of life, meaning mm -hmm. seeing people who have done it before me and being mentored by them. I would have met one of my mentors at Jamaica College in 2006. That's the Honorable Danny Williams, who founded Life of Jamaica. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Danny taught me how to use the knife and fork for my road scholarship interview in 2010. And, you know, he has never asked me to write a resume, quite frankly. He's always shown me how to start a business and how to run a business and how to be entrepreneurial and telling me anything you want in life that you really, really want, you have to go after. So just imagine having the, 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 someone like that who you can listen to. And I tell people all the time, and if you get great advice and you don't listen, it's on you. And mm -hmm. so for me, um, once I escaped those realities and I found myself at Lysia Jamaica College, um, seeing those old boys and what they were able to do, seeing my mother suffer, those became A, my aspiration, and B, my mother suffering was the motivation that kind of drove me to kind of wanting to be something much more than myself. Certainly, I can tell you too that, you know, the pain and the, the road that I had to walk, I've also committed to myself that I should make it very easy for the next person who come after me. Right. And so a lot of those things would have been my motivation in those moments when I was making those decisions. And I can tell you, you know, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a fool, obviously, you have a scholarship in front of you that would take you to the best university in the world, one of the best. 
um, and you would have given that up. There must have been some assurances on my side that not only did I have a very good um, backing, but we also mm -hmm. had a very good idea. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I felt as the need that if I could deliver on this idea, the backing would come. And so the risk that I took was pretty much betting on myself to be able to formulate an idea that's attractive enough that would attract investors to help me in making it a reality. And I'm very happy today that we can say that we're serving over 250,000 learners and income. Well, you know, um, Ricardo, you've said a lot of things and I you know, would want to um, unpack some of those. And one of them is betting on yourself because oftentimes, you know, we, we find ourselves, you know, believing in other people and motivating and pushing other people when it comes on to our own um, capabilities and what, you know, what is, what is deep within us for, for, to be on earth, then we find ourselves pulling back, holding back. So let's talk a little bit, Ricardo, about betting on yourself, you know, right. and, and right. why that is important. No, absolutely. You know, for me, uh, I, I tell myself that I, you know, as I said earlier, I fear being normal, right? I think being normal is boring, you know, like I mm -hmm. feel like it's easy to get up every day and do the regular old average things that everybody does. Right. Um, right. You know, I see myself as, you know, inspired really to impact people in ways that, you know, you, you can, you cannot imagine. And, and I really, really want to make the world a better place. And that's the truth. And so betting on myself, you know, there's a lot of self-confidence having gone through situations over my lifetime and overcoming those situations and learning from those situations in the cases where you did not overcome them. And it, it gives you this confidence level where you feel as if you can take on the world, okay? It, 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 it causes you to believe that there's nothing that is impossible. And that mentality is invaluable, in going forward. So betting on myself is really betting on my mind, mm -hmm. um, my ability to, to not only come up with an idea, but identifying a team to implement it because it's not only me and inspiring that team to implementing that and also getting the capital to get it done. You see, there are a few factors of productions that, that doesn't change. You, know, you have your capital, you have your land, you have your labor, you follow? Mm -hmm. Now you yes. have your machinery and your automation. Those are factors of production. And betting on myself meant that once I had an idea that was good enough, I could pull, pull those parts together to achieve that which was considered to be impossible by many a men. And that's kind of you know, how I live my life now, just challenging and stretching our imagination, challenging ourselves to be greater than average. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I reject being normal. I reject being average. And we certainly want to change the world through technology. Absolutely. And you are on your, well on your path to doing that. And two other things I, that, I, that I see predominantly based on conversations I've, you know, I've listened with you having with other, on other platforms and even here. So two things, one, mentorship. And secondly, the fact that you you clearly believe in honoring those who would have given support to you along the way because clearly it's not just you alone. So why why is mentorship so important, you know, um, for entrepreneurs? And why also is it important for you to honor those who would have contributed to your success? 
You know, uh, I'm a firm believer in the whole matter that, you know, my grandmother says to me all the time, when I was about, I believe I was like about six months to a year, apparently something would have happened. My great-grandmother was at church. She ran down from the church. She tells me the story all the time, and she rubbed me with some bullshit skulls, searched me, searched search me, me life. Heart or search me heart. Search you know me heart, yeah. Search me heart. <laughs> country, me come around and Yeah, there. man, there we go, man. I can hear it. Search me heart. You know the thing? Yes. And she says she rubbed me up with it, and she says that um, I was almost dying. Mm-hmm. And she rubbed me with it, and I came back to life. And everybody was screaming, and I said, boy, I'm going to lose another baby because my mommy would have lost a baby in Gilbert. And so everybody wow. was saying, boy, she's going to lose another baby. Anyhow, I'm alive today um, because of mm-hmm. my great-grandmother. And she tells me that story to say that I am here for a purpose. For a purpose, absolutely. And my purpose, I believe, is to use my mind, my creativity, my ability to convince those who are usually skeptical to stretch their imagination to achieve. And if I can do that and do that well, and you do that with certain level of passion and purpose, and obviously you're getting your profitability and performance, then you will certainly do well. So from my perspective, Enika, I can tell you that the way I look at life and kind of the way I approach things um, is exactly that, you know, is, 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 is approaching it with a purpose, very purpose-driven. And there are many people who have, in my process, uh, assisted me at some point in my life. And in some ways, I call it the poverty trap. And, I, and I'll tell you what I mean by that, right? Mm-hmm. If you are like me, who don't believe in handouts because everything that I've ever asked for, I do it through a deal. So I've never asked someone for something that I will never pay back. When I was asking for CXE help, it was to get a job in the summer, in the Christmas to work back for it. When I wrote the letter for the lady to give me food in the canteen, is because what? I was going to give her back at some point, which I did. Meaning I, I caused her to get to start delivering lunch to one of the largest financial institutions in New Kingston. She used to give me lunch at, at, at JC. When I wrote the different letters asking for help, it was to also give back. Now, when you do that, you have a lot of people that you quote-unquote owe. Now, here's the thing now. For example, some of that is good, some of it is not so good, and I'll tell you why. Because I live my life every day to ensure that those who have supported me or, or who have extended support to me are not disappointed and is a lot of weight to carry. Mm-hmm. But that's the field that you're in. And so I can tell you now that one of the most relieved feeling that I have had certainly is once the IPO closed and we were successful at raising $3 billion, though we only wanted $300 million, about eight times oversubscribed. When, when that happened, a lot of weight was off my shoulder for many people who I would have sold the vision to, to have reached to this point. And what helps me and keeps me grounded is to speak with people, Henneke, who have done it before me, who have made, they have made mistakes. And if somebody before me made a mistake and they can tell me the mistake they made, then it's one less road to walk for me. And so mm-hmm. it is important to me because it causes me to 
have a wider base of information from which to draw my own conclusions and to form my own path. And so mentorship is important to me to understand the varying perspective on things and to understand those who have done it before me and to listen and to hear and then to form my own opinion in my way of executing because you cannot understand sometime the future unless you understand the history, you know. And so if I'm coming to solve a big problem in education, it would be very presumptuous of me to believe that someone did not try to solve this before me. And so in a way, I stay close to even some of those ideas. So I can go to a mentor and say, hey, you knew so-and-so from so-and-so and what did he try? How did it work, etc." So it works two ways for me. It tells me, to keep grounded, it helps me to understand what others have done. It helps me to bounce ideas and say, what did you do in this case when you had this problem? You know, one of the biggest problems we had in Ica when I just started the business is that I could not find another team member who was as passionate as I was, who was staying up at night as I was, who was going <laughs> through the night as I was. And I called one of my mentors and say, well, you know, when you start, I called Danny, I can't tell you, L.O.J. started L.O.J. now, surgical. I said, Danny, when you just started out, did you have a team member like this in Sir Ricardo? At the end of the day, this is your baby. Yes. And you're going to always feel that way. What you have to do is to ensure that you continue to inspire them and ultimately they're going to come it with you. And that's exactly what happened. So mentorship is important and paying it back is important. Paying it forward is important. And help is a domino effect, you know, domino effect. Because mm -hmm. if, if someone helped me, I am now cultured into the way of helping. And so I can tell you that because of all the help I have gotten, just this past summer, I went down to my school there in Rio in Trelawney that I walked barefoot to. And I gave every child graduating $10,000 towards high school. It was 28 of them. And that's what it does. It causes you to be a better person and help you to get context and help you to kind of pay it forward. And that's what I like about mentorship. Fantastic. And then honoring those, you know, always giving honor to those that would have helped you succeed along the way. All Absolutely. right. We're going to take a break right here, Ricardo. And when, we, when I come back from that break, what I want us to talk about, just some of those quote unquote failures and even take us into your decision making process. So let's take a break here to read a review from one of my listeners and says it's captioned a unique voice on entrepreneurship. This show has so many strong points. For one, the choice of guests. Many of the guests share their process for making decisions and how to find the help that you need when you need it. This is an overlooked topic in entrepreneurship, but Henika is great at teasing out the important points. It's also refreshing to hear someone that takes a cultural perspective on starting a business. There are many tribes out there. I can also tell you that effort is put into the production so that it's always an easy listen. I'm going to keep coming back. And this is from Alex Enrique, three out of the US of A. Thank you so much, Alex Enrique, three, for taking the time to not only listen, but to share feedback on the show. Much appreciated. I know, you know, there was an opportunity cost there. It means that you spend time doing that, then you didn't spend time doing something else. So I value that 100%. And if you wrote a review, please send me an email at henikawatkisporter at gmail.com to let me know 
so that I can shout you out right here on the show. Thank you so very much. Welcome back to this conversation that I've been having with Ricardo Allen of One and One, having a one and one with him. So, Ricardo, two things I mentioned that I want us to, to touch on. I want to touch on those failures and I, and I'm putting failures in quotes because there's no such thing. It's just always a part of the learning experience in my opinion. So, um, what's it like for you, you know, um, having failed or have you, have you had any failure along your journey thus far? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that I do in, in my business and a lot of people will, will tell you is that, I believe in this whole idea of failing, but failing fast. Mm-hmm. So I, what I'm married to is the destination, not so much the route that we take to get it. To get preach, it. preach, preach. So <laughs> it's it's more important to me to try something. And if it doesn't work out, we move and we try it a different way. But our goal never changes. And so along that way, you would have had many, many kind of failures um, coming up. I mean... One of the first thing I can tell you that we did is that we, we, you know, when we got the five million first investment, we placed one point five million dollars to a company locally to build out our online platform, and they ran off with our money. Um, and can you imagine now that more than twenty five percent of your investment or thirty percent of your investment now um, is now gone, and you have to kind of figure out how am I going to do this? You have invest the money. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the first kind of failures, um, you know, that we had our lesson learned. And then out of that, we went with a model of working with a larger company who gave us some credit terms to develop and to deliver on the solution. And we paid them only on delivery. And we didn't mm-hmm. pay them unless they got it. So that was a lesson to me. And it has shaped the way I do business up to this day where I pay for value received. You know, mm. not the other way around. Another thing I learned very quickly was um, cash in business is king, right? Forget about what your profitability says. Look at the cash flow to see how much cash the business has because cash is the currency of the future. And if you if you have cash, you can take advantage of opportunities. And so cash is king because a business without cash, it causes a ripple effect on not only the operation, so as far as your ability to meet your short-term demands, but it's also very distracting. So it takes away from your ability to strategize, etc. So, you know, one of the things that I've always prioritized is ensuring that the company has a solid, what I call a burn rate, which means enough cash to take you to, to a, you know, a couple of months, a couple mm-hmm. of years, you know, kind of thing. So you have to, you're not, you're not in a position where every month you're out of cash and you're trying to figure out how to solve it. And so we've had many kind of, you know, failures like that in the business. In terms of personal failures, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, from 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 living in Rio Buena Trelawney, there are many things there in terms of even in when I was, you know, obviously in Kingston. And there are so many that to pick one of them, you know, is, is, is almost like difficult. But I can tell you that, for example... You know, when I, while I attending JC, um, you know, sometimes my average would have been in the 30s, sometimes it's in the 90s. Um, and so looking back at those times, I used to 
beat myself up when I get a low average because I know I was smarter than that, right? But I was comparing myself to people who were going home and having a good home and probably an opportunity to study. I was working two and three jobs, mm -hmm. uh, wiping floors, packing bags, etc. And so, you know, what I learned very quickly was not to compare myself with others and run my own race and my own absolutely, journey. Absolutely, absolutely. The minute I did that, it took away from my own ability to maximize on my own potential. And it was very distracting and it causes you to run a race that you have no business running. And so the minute I started focusing on myself and comparing to myself, that's where I get the whole concept of stretching my imagination from because it became so uh, so effective that I started being, okay, right, Ricardo, you've done this. Now, what next is possible? And now what's possible is not limited by what I am seeing in front of me, but the greater good, the greater thing that can be achieved. So, you know, that's the level of confidence I've gotten from that. So there's been... Um, many failure over the years. You know, I told you about the time we ran out of money in terms of the company. I had to buy a, a shave, we call it a share to, to trim myself and so on. And you, know, you make a lot of mistakes. You spend a lot of cash doing things that customers don't care about. You, know, you build features that customers don't want. It's like buying a toy for your, your daughter and she start playing with the box instead of the toy, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's, you know, you've had many of those over the years and, you know, you just learn and you just kind of, um, move. One thing I would say is that um, fear of failure is what pushes me the most. You know, the, the the fear of actually not being my utmost best is what pushes me the most to be mm -hmm. as as and great failure as for you. So based on that, failure for you is not being your utmost best. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Mm -hmm. Like if yeah, I let myself down if I cannot deliver. <clears throat> At a, at a very high clip. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and that's the times I feel like the most. I must tell you that one of the things that Ricardo Allen, you know, what I, one of the things that I value the most in this life is my ability to take care of my family. And failure to me would be my inability to do that, you know, to care for my family. Not just financially, psychologically, emotionally, and just being there. For right. them, um, because my father was not there for us. And I promised my brother, my sister, my own family, that I will be there for them and be a man and a model father that they can look up to. So, you know, on a personal level, like that's my biggest thing, you know, just to be a great dad, to be a great husband, Anika, um, to, to, to be a very good human being and to be, be a I would say an inspiration to many. And you know, I have a lot of persons looking to me. I know that. And I'm certainly working on delivering. All right. So thanks to Ricardo for sharing that. And I want to get into your decision making process. But before I do that, you kind of went into somewhere that I also want to go, and that's family. Uh, the level of success that you're having, and you are going to have way more than what's what we're seeing now. Um, let's talk about the role that family is playing and how do you see your, su your uh, success impacting your family down the road, whether negatively or positively? Yeah, well, you know, is <laughs> to give you some insight in that, there's a thing that I say all the time that the cost of success, right? Mm -hmm. And 
the question is, who are you doing this for? Are you doing this for yourself? You're doing it for your family. We'd like to think that we're doing it for our family. And this is what they want. But I'm here to tell you that <laughs> my daughter, she don't know about all of these things, right? She don't know that I need to work or anything. In fact, what she says to me is that, Daddy, you're the CEO. Why have to be in meetings all day, you know? <laughs> and why, why don't you spend more time with us and so on? Like, that's what she wants. Um, because she needs her dad. And now you have to work from home when they're in the same space as you are. What what kicks, kills me sometimes is that sometimes they come to the door and have some louver doors for the ventilation and they look through it knowing that dad is there, but they can't access dad. And it kills uh. me seeing them just peeking in. So it does affect me um, in terms of, you know, two young children, two young girls that you want to show that you should be available and you should not feel like you're bothering somebody or you should have, as a male figure in their lives, I don't want to be dismissive in any way. So I try to accommodate them as much as possible when they're around. But you can imagine when sometimes you're in the heat of business, you know, mm -hmm. and you can't dedicate the time nor energy to them in the way that you would have liked. So um, it does affect um, family. Um, very much, specifically my daughters. Uh, I think my wife is now at a stage you now where she understands the type of person that I am. I've been this way really from university when I met her, you know, where I've always believed that, listen, work hard when you're young, like we celebrate when we're older, right? And so I feel that she has, you know, gotten accustomed to that and, you know, to an extent support me in this regard. And so, you know, so as far as family is concerned, I think it's, it's, it, it, it does have a, a negative impact, me working 16 hours a day and, and so on as an entrepreneur. But, you know, I try to find time to spend with my children, with my wife, quality time so that they understand that, you know, that is here and I truly love them. And one of the ways that I'm trying to do this now, Enika, is to set aside time in the month where I said it's not work is, is really them, you know? So right. it has impact both ways. Now on the other side, it has impacted my family. So as far as, okay, my children are growing up in a space where daddy can afford for them what a child needs. Okay. I'm not talking about the wants, no, the needs, the mm -hmm. basic needs and so on. I can afford to send them to a pretty good school. I can give them what they want, you know, you know, whatever they need, daddy can do it. That's not how I grew up, you know? I grew mm -hmm. up, I, I didn't have a birthday until the first one I kept in, 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 in 2010, my 21st birthday. And in, remarkably, that birthday, what I did was to use everybody who I invited to the party, I asked them to bring something that I will donate to people in Jonestown. And again, this is kind of it, right? So while I've not benefited from that, I've always kind of wanted to be reminded of my roots and where I'm coming from. And it's difficult to show that to, for example, my two kids who now probably go to school and say, my daddy is rich. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm saying, no, 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 no. Your daddy is not rich. Um, and, you know, the other day I took them to, to feed some persons that never know stoplight just to show them empathy just to show them that side of things without necessarily preventing them from having that so it has impacted me obviously 
on the side that obviously kids want daddy wife want husband i'm not there to give my all but on the other side it has the success has created almost a feeling of for my daughters certainly that daddy daddy him have it him can do this him can do that but yeah and they feel secure there's valid, a sense of security which is needed right and, mm -hmm. I, and i love that but at the same time i'd love for them to also have an appreciation for life and the things in life so that they can work towards getting their own education to chart their own way forward right absolutely i get you get you ricardo i want to get a sense into your headspace of how do you make decisions? I mean, and, and I say this, ask this question again to the backdrop of you um, got this amazing scholarship, right? And you give it up, figure start business. No, when you are making decisions, and, and I suppose, you know, it doesn't matter the level of a decision that you have to make when you have a strategy, um, it, it can be applicable across the board, Right. So how do you make decisions generally? What goes into your thought process when you're making a, a particularly a major decision? It's a very good question. You know, Henneke, my my one of my flaws, right, is that I think about people before I think about myself. You know, like mm -hmm. I can tell you that one of the things I'm trying to correct is how to prioritize Ricardo Allen. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like it is, I have this feeling that I will always be okay. No matter <laughs> what happens. You know what I mean? Like, I have survived enough situations to know how to navigate any new situation that I am faced with. Okay? Right. And my philosophy is always like, what's the worst that can happen kind of thing. Somebody said no. Somebody tell me off, you know, whatever. Like, you know, we move on. So mm -hmm. I'm not afraid to ask for what I want in life, right? And that assertiveness has caused me to have a different outlook on life because I realize that people like that. People like when you, you ask them. Some people don't, but most people appreciate when I'm very upfront and honest and I ask. Now, when I have a decision in front of me and faced with option A and option B, I can tell you, for example for the scholarship that i got before i even got the fulbright in 20 2008 i would have gotten a jps scholarship to go to university i got three scholarships jps pan caribbean and sajikor mm. and i went to the folks at jps and i told them that before that i did a speech and the lady who i did the speech at the optimist club and her name was um janet stewart and she came up to me and she offered me some money well, I thought she was paying me for the speech and I was telling her, no, I don't want the money for the speech because I don't get paid for these things, right? Mm -hmm. The next Monday, I got a call from Supreme Ventures. There was a check for me ready for $50,000, right? Mm -hmm. I took the check and that was the first check towards my university. Went to JPS. JPS looked at me and they gave me a scholarship. Now I said to JPS that, hey, can I get this scholarship to split up for my brother and sister who is in the country not going anywhere? They're not going to school. They're not doing anything. And they were so drawn or awed by what I was asking. It was, you know, you can imagine you give a man a scholarship and them ask for it to be split three ways to accommodate his brother and sister. And so 
when I say that that decision that I made is usually centered around people, the people who are around me who I need to come up. Because in my mind, I just felt like I could go and get a scholarship. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I knew that they may not have that ability to do that. And so most times, that's what I think about. Now, when I was making that decision to, um, you know, give up the scholarship, obviously I would have thought about my family, my mother who was ill at the time. Um, I was I would have thought about myself in terms of what I wanted. Yeah, you want to go to a big university, you wanted to work at the at Wall Street, earn a lot of money. But for some reason, it was more important to me to be here to help with my mother who was obviously ill. It was more important to create an opportunity for people to learn online to fix a big problem in personalized learning. Um, in fact, I would say that I saw the decision to stay and do the business as almost, uh, oh, I can stay and look after my mother and still, you know, run a business. Wow, let, let me do that. that. That was kind of the thought process at that time, right? And even now when I'm making decisions in the business, I am balancing all angles, all perspectives, okay? So I'm balancing my team's perspective, right? what would my team think about this decision, right? I'm balancing the customer's perspective, right? Meaning, what would the customer want? I'm also balancing my shareholder's perspective. And one thing I can tell you is that, you know, when you look at things from that perspective and you remove yourself from the situation and you think objectively, you usually come to some beautiful outcomes. And one of, one of the things I can tell you is that I don't take very long to make a decision in it, right? Mm-hmm. it's more important for me to make a decision and be wrong than to try to get it right the first time. Because, so I solve by iteration. So I will fire and then aim, fire again. And the more I fire, the closer I get to the, the bullet, right? Than to stay a year, two years trying to figure this out. So I make decisions very quick. I go based on how I feel. And that's the truth. What I mean mm-hmm. by how I feel the logo that we chose for the rebranding that we have now, right? They put a few logos to me and, you know, we we're going through them. But there was this one that I saw that just made me feel good. You know what I mean? I saw it and I'm like, wow. Yeah. That, that's that's the one I wanted, you know? And, and you know, they're looking at me and saying, you know, why this one? I said, no, because it made me feel really, really good. Mm-hmm. And when we developed it and so on, people loved it and so on. But again, it starts from a feeling because that's where passion comes from, you know, feeling how you feel about your stimuli or your stimulus, these things that you interact with every day. Right. And if you remove that from me, it, it becomes more difficult to make um, decisions. So my decisions are usually based on even the opportunities that we go after. You know, there, there's a school of thought that you may have the, MBAs and all of that in your business and the PhDs and they will probably say, oh, Ricardo, we have to do these research to understand what is that. And that's fine. That's great. That's one perspective, you know. But there are sometimes instinctively you have to look and, and, and know the energy you felt when you showed this person this product. That's the research. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? You felt it. You saw their eyes littered with excitement and you saw that. You said, right, can I find 10 more, 20 more people like him to, to use the product and benefit from it. So my decisions are usually based on a combination of objectivity 
as well as how I feel, um, you know, about the decision that I, I, I am making. And certainly, um, most times I take into account the views of others and I usually leave mine as the vetoed view at the end, you know? Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you say that, Ricardo, and it's quite refreshing to hear because usually you don't hear men talk about, you know, the feeling, which ultimately I put that on the gut and just being connected to the spirit and 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 being um, which drives a passion. So I, that is quite refreshing to hear. As we are wrapping up right now, Ricardo, I would love to hear from you. What is your one piece of advice that somebody now wants to start a business, but they're caught between a rock and a hard place, you may say, um, in that valley of indecision? What would you say to them right now? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the best time to start a business is, 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 is right now, right? Like any, what I mean by right now, I'm not talking today, today, today. I'm saying the best time to start is always start. Just do it, right? Uh, you know, in terms of how you dive in, for example, I was tutoring for, for three years before I left my job at Sajikor to start um, tutoring full-time. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my decision to have done that obviously would have been informed by traction that I was getting in the business and how people were receiving and people loved what we were doing. You know, people were coming and passing, getting fantastic grades and so on. And so, you know, for us, that, that was very important. Now, one advice I would give to persons is that, you know, a business is a long game. It's not a short game, right? If you want to do a short game, go do something like trading or something like that, right? When you start a business, I want you to think about traction, right? And traction for me is very important. It is your own way of understanding whether or not this idea that you think is great, other people actually think is great too. And what I mean by that is that what you want to do is to kind of test your idea. Um, And testing the idea don't mean going into a lab and, you know, running it through tests. It means that come up with the idea, but run it by your family and friends, those who are close to you that going to be honest with you and pretty much see how they react, see how they feel from what you have done. And if you can get enough of them to um, kind of test it and give you your feedback, then you say, okay, and then you optimize and then you grow. So let's say you start with, like us, we started with two students. They did math. They got grade ones. And then we started, we started to get them referring their friends and so on. And so clearly we were doing something that was valuable at Enica. People, people liked it, right? So I tell people that people that the first two years of any business is to test your idea and to start get a little traction. You see that first two years, Enica, you use that to buy at the next three years. What do I mean by that? At the end of two years, you should be able to evaluate whether or not this business is worthwhile or not. If it is growing, you know, and people actually like it, you can find people who use it and they're benefiting and they love it. Then you start thinking, all right, people love it. I am onto something here. What's the size of the market and how do I get even more people to come and love it? What do I need to get me there? And so what you start, you know, you look at the next three years. So we're at year two, you're looking out. You say you look at the next three years and say, well, For the next three years, I want to grow the business now to a point where I can now reach profitability in year five. Five years, you know, after you start the business, I'm saying, you know, you should look for profits, you know. Mm -hmm. And how many of us have enough capital to sustain us for five years? Not many. And so that leads to what's called bootstrapping, where you probably grow at a pace that you're comfortable with and you earn money and you spend the money. 
as you go and then you try grow and grow and grow. But if you wanted now to run a company in a way that you want, you know, you want to expand and you want to expand very quickly, five years is what you're looking at. And then at year five, that is when you probably break your first profit. One and one broke its first profit in 2018 after we started in 2013. And that was for 12 million. Now we're close to 100 million that we're going to end the year at. So the point I'm saying is that um, the first two years is to buy yourself three more years. And your first five years in a business is to pretty much demonstrate not only traction, usability of your thing and need, but also you're growing it to see that the business is actually viable and can stand in, on its own legs. Between year five, year seven, year 10, you're looking at scaling that operation. Remember in doing this, protect your cash. Cash is king. Without it, you're nothing. And so those who are the advice I would give to persons. Um, one thing I would say to Anika is that no matter what you're doing, if you're only doing it just for the likes and the money and so on, well, if you like money, probably that works. But you see, when it gets tough, what's going to keep you going is your passion and your commitment to a yeah, vision. Yeah, your why, just say. to understand yeah, and yeah, remember your why. Yeah, absolutely, man. absolutely. Ricardo Allen, founder and CEO of One and One Educational Services Limited. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's been inspirational. How many persons get in touch with you? Yeah, man. Well, you can follow me on social media. I'm at Ricardo D. Allen on Twitter, Ricardo D. Allen, and one on one Ricardo on Instagram. You can also catch me on LinkedIn. Um, feel free to drop me a note, say hello, follow me. Let's talk. I love having conversations around math and bots and all of these lovely artificial intelligence thing. You know. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. So now it's time for our money tip brought to you by Profit Jump Starter. And today's tip is invest in dividend, dividend paying stocks. Invest in dividend paying stocks. Even if the share price doesn't go up every year, you still make money by way of dividends. Use high dividend yield percentage of dividend compared to its price to pick up shares. Diversify your portfolio by adding some high dividend paying stocks. Thank you, Profit Jumpstarter. And thank you for tuning in to this episode with Ricardo Allen. What is my most insightful moment from today's episode, you ask? Well, there have been many, but let's talk about betting on yourself. That is so key because so many of us, we find it so much easier to support and bet bet on others and you know to say that that project by tom strokes john brown whatever is a great project but yet we have our own sometimes and we are so fearful of taking that plunge and betting on ourselves so it's so important you know to have that belief in self right because without that confidence without that belief we are twice defeated in the race of life, says Marcus Garvey, of course, paraphrased right here. So I would love to hear your feedback, you know, your standout moment. What has that been? Send me a feedback at hennikawatkisporter at gmail.com or on social media at hennikawatkisporter. Remember to follow this podcast on your favorite podcast app or connect with me for all things podcasting at hennikawatkisporter.com. And here's according to the scriptures today. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6, verse 33. What good 